I, I think we do a pretty good job of that here in Portland. We, we try to like look at like what community needs are like. So de-escalation has become like a huge buzzword in, in police work. Right. And, and just in, in general with like, how do you deal with, with high risk situations and how can we figure out how to do that? So we, we've spent a lot of over the last couple of years, and this is even before what happened in 2020, you know, the bureau kind of shifted and really started talking about de-escalation and, and how has that happened? How does that occur? What does that mean? Uh, and we, you know, at least at the training division, they put on scenarios where, you know, officers are kind of tested at that uh, to put that on. Hey everyone, welcome to the Park Rose Life Podcast. I'm joined with my producer, Andrew Morgan. What's up, Andrew? Hey, how you doing today, man? I'm doing pretty good. We just got done chit-chatting with our guest today. His name is Eric Zajac. And Eric has been a police officer in Portland for 22 years. He's someone I got to know actually just drinking coffee at the Rossi Farms barn. We do uh, coffee most days of the week. Not that I go all the time, but he's just been kind of a consistent guy. And I've kind of gotten to know him over the past couple of years in the pandemic of sipping coffee and realized like, hey, there's a lot to um, a lot to being a police officer in Portland right now. Yeah. You know, it's funny. That's like the most Portland way to meet someone. Right. Is this concept of like we're sipping coffee and just getting to know each other. And the idea that you have a police officer who's accessible to you in that most relational common way that people meet each other in the Pacific Northwest uh, over coffee. And I think that's the thing I like about today's interview is that it, it's kind of shaped around the same way you've talked, you would talk to him while drinking coffee. So, you know, like it might sound corny, but I would, I, I would suggest you get a cup of coffee to listen to this interview. There you go. That's great. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's right. It helps that we've already, I mean, he and I have already had some of these conversations, just there was no microphone around. So we had it again. Yeah. Um, that is funny. And it came about, and of course a, I mean, today was recorded, but just our previous conversations were just candid. Yeah. Um, it wasn't like drink coffee with a cop, come, and, come <laughs> yeah. at th to this event, which sometimes I see those things and that's probably a good thing. I would definitely consider participating yeah. at that. But at that point it's like, this is not casual anymore. Yeah. We made an event out of it. Yeah. yeah. It, it almost feels like a political rally. Like in coffee and cops would be better than like, somehow you feel like you don't, you want to avoid the donuts. Like, you know, they have like donuts and dads. You just don't want to go that direction with the cops. I think that's probably against their PR practices at this point. <laughs> Definitely. So today, you know, one of the things I like about and I, I said, you know, this already is like, you know, had listened to the interview, you know, as we were recording it and, and watching you go through it. It was relational. And I think if you are like a person who lives in Park Rose and you're concerned about the crime, because the reality is, you know, when we turn on the television, uh, and we, you know, and we, we read these news posts, everything is telling us that the, our neighborhood is being overran with crime. If you've got the next door app, you're terrified to come outside most of the time because there's always a post telling you how bad it is. And to be able to hear from the people who are dealing with the crime and dealing with the, the issues uh, of homelessness, that if you're riding through this community and looking to purchase a home or whatever, some of the things that may concern you, it's funny, like he helped us understand the, you know, the relationship between homelessness and the political system and the policing system when it comes to it. And the more knowledge you have, the better you feel about it. 
it makes you feel a little bit more safer. So, you know, I think that I can appreciate the accessibility to this type of conversation because people fear what they don't understand. And the better understanding that you get of things, it, it really helps, you know, put you into that that safer space. So we've got a really, really good, good interview for, for him today. Um, we're not going to hold you any further. Without further ado, let's get into it. This is Park Rose Life. Eric Zajac, welcome to the Park Rose Life podcast, man. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. You're the first person to wear a uniform of any kind into this space. <laughs> I'm sitting across Officer Zajac in a full police outfit right now. So let's just get straight into it. Eric, how long have you been on the police force? Uh, you know, I like to joke uh, that I was actually hired last century. Uh, so tw- 22 and a half years now. A true got, dinosaur. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I got hired at the end of uh, 1999. Okay, cool. What initially drew you to becoming a police officer? Uh, you know, I, I didn't grow up wanting to be a police officer. I, I grew up in the military. Uh, I'm, I'm an Air Force brat. Uh, my my dad retired out of the Air Force. Um, and, uh, a big part of my family has always kind of been service work. Um, mostly through the most by that, I mean the military, my uncle, my grandfather, um, both grandfathers actually. And so <clears throat> I knew I wanted to do something service related. I figured I was going to go into military myself. When I first went to college, uh, I was enrolled in ROTC and I was on a three-year program for engineering because um, that's what I thought I wanted to be when I came out of high school, an engineer. Uh, let's just say I didn't do very well my first semester uh, in college, uh, being away from home. Also realized that I did not want to uh, be an engineer. Um, and my roommate at the time uh, was taking some criminal justice classes. And I was like, oh, that's kind of a service-oriented job too. Um, and I went to the Army and was like, hey, you mind if I switch? And of course they looked at my GPA at the time, which was pretty miserable uh, and said, nope. <laughs> so uh, I walked away from the, that scholarship or I guess we chose to part ways, I suppose maybe it would be more accurate. Um, okay. Sure. Yeah. Uh, and started taking criminal justice classes and kind of really enjoyed it and pondered like going to a federal agency or something like that. I went to school down at New Mexico state university uh, down in Southern New Mexico and, uh, yeah, really, really enjoyed, uh, the classes. Right on. And where's home for you? Uh, so home is kind of all over all the place. Over. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I, we didn't move that much. Uh, I was born in Denver, um, Aurora technically, uh, and lived there for, you know, the first seven years of my life or so. And then, uh, we got, my dad was stationed overseas. So we lived in England, uh, for about five years. Uh, most of my elementary school, uh, was, uh, in England and then cultured then <laughs> sure i suppose i mean they're all they're all you know english speaking white people but uh, but you know different accents and stuff like that there but it was definitely you know one of the things that struck me and i i haven't been back to england yet but it's just how old the history like buildings and stuff like that are yeah. compared to what we find here in, in the united states like they're like way older and it's, it's, it's pretty impressive. Like some of the cathedrals and stuff like that are super impressive. And, and I remember visiting those and the castles and things like that were definitely interesting, but, uh, and then moved back stateside when I right before junior high, uh, to New Mexico. And so a small town in Eastern New Mexico called Clovis, uh, about 40, 45,000 people or so. There's a air force base there, uh, and graduated high school there. And then down to Las Cruces, New Mexico for college. 
And you ended up finishing, or yeah, I ended up yeah, I ended up with two. Go from from New Mexico to Portland. (laughs) Yeah, so uh, one of the classes I took uh, in the criminal justice program down there uh, was on community policing, Um, and at the time, Portland was kind of highlighted in that class as a as a city that uh, had policing or community type policing, and and it kind of interested me. Um, I had never been to the Northwest ever. Um, I I love New Mexico. Uh, I love the food. I really miss uh, green chili, especially hatch green chili. Tough to find here. But once I moved here, well, I knew I didn't want to stay in New Mexico, honestly. I, I Doing police work, wearing a vest when it's, you know, 115 and 95 at night just was not super thrilling to me. <laughs> That's a, uh, weather, cold weather blood uh, in my family. And so that, that didn't suit me very well. And they have some water issues down there as well. It gets really dry. And so the Northwest, obviously, there's we have lots of rain here. The weather is very similar as it is to England, very temperate. Uh, decided, hey, that, you know, this sounds kind of cool. And so I saw a job application posting for Portland uh, in my criminal justice department. Right on. Signed up, sent it in, flew up here, took the test. So your first impression or first knowledge of anything specific about Portland was that our police force was uh, hallmark for community policing. Correct. Yeah. So yeah. once you joined the force, what were some of your early ex- experiences like? Did it meet what you expected? Uh, yeah. I, I think you know one of the shocks for me is you know I mean you see, I, you know you you grow up watching like police shows on TV or or watching cops or something like that, and you kind of have you know one thing in your mind. Um, I did not realize how much writing there was involved in police work, like how much, you know, I mean, you have to be a good, and back then when I started, we literally hand wrote our reports. And so I, you know, I, I carried around an electronic pocket dictionary and I carried around white out my pocket, you know? So, uh, but it shocked me, uh, how much we would write and spin writing reports and documenting things. Less, I don't, I was going to use the word glamorous. I don't know that cops is glamorous, but maybe a little bit less uh, action packed. Yes. I mean, you know, I think, yeah, I think, you know, uh, somebody best described to me, police work is, is long, long periods of boredom punctuated by sheer moments of terror. Um, and that it's a, a decent way. Cause you know, it, it, any cop that tells you he's never scared about things that he's going into or calls is responding to is, is not telling the truth. I mean, it's, you know, you, we go to some scary stuff and everything, but we also know that we have the training and everything like we need to, you know, hopefully succeed in what we're going to. Um, and so, but there's definitely long, long periods of boredom when, you know, you're just, Yeah. That makes sense. Have you compared notes with some of your relatives that were in the military of what the jobs are like? Yeah, for sure. I have two younger brothers. My middle brother, he was he went into the army and was in the army and got deployed to Afghanistan and did a couple of tours there and everything like that. And so and he actually even went to police work uh, not long after getting out of the military. He did that for a few years. Uh, and it, he ends up living here now uh, with his family. Uh, and he's he's not in police work anymore. But uh, but yeah, we, we definitely compared notes. And even, you know, he, he was in police work. So my dad, his last duty station was in Georgia. And so that's where my two younger brothers graduated high school from. I never lived there. I'd visit from time to time during college and after college. Uh, but 
he was a, a police officer in a, in a small town in, in Georgia uh, where they didn't have computers in their cars. They didn't have any kind of less lethal tools like taser or beanbag shotguns at the time or the 40 millimeters now uh, and things like that. And so police work it was done differently. Wow. Um, and so, it, yeah, Mayberry for sure. Kind of. Yeah. I mean, it was a metropolitan area. It was, I mean, not a metropolitan. Wow. Well, this is a small city, much smaller than Portland, but not as small as like Clovis was where I, where okay. I grew up, but police workers definitely done different. back to the term you mentioned of community policing because you've talked to me a bit about that before and you said you were interested in it from even in your college yeah years what uh i mean i feel like that is a term that gets tossed out and it sounds appealing but sure what does that really entail and what how is it effective yeah, you know, I, I think it's one of those things, you know, there's also another term like uh, problem-oriented policing, POP, um, but community policing, uh, the idea of it is that you really kind of get involved with the communities and what they want, um, and you're kind of, your focus is on like what the community desires, um, and uh, it bringing in partners from other, uh, maybe other agencies or other, um, within the government or the county or, or whatever, uh, to focus on problems that the, that the community is, is concerned about. So for, so throughout my 22 year career, for about eight years, uh, I was assigned to something called the neighborhood response team. Uh, and now each, each precinct at the time, that's back when we had six precincts or sorry, five precincts. Uh, and, uh, Part of my duties as neighborhood response team officer was was to directly to respond to complaints from neighbors and stuff like that. So while officers uh, like myself now might respond to a 911 call to deal with maybe it's a domestic or, uh, you know, uh, some kind of parking issue or traffic accident or something like that. They, those officers uh, typically don't have a whole lot of time to address kind of chronic issues like the, the chronic problem. Uh, and so the six of us that were part of the neighborhood response team, we would try to address those more chronic problems. Um, and maybe it was like, we've been to this, you know, this house on noise complaints, you know, 12 times in the last month or whatever. It's, we might look in to try to find out like, well, who owns the house? This is a rental, you know, is there something talk to the neighbors, try to find out. Uh, and back during my tenure, uh, in the neighborhood response team, like the vast majority of complaints were all about drug houses. Um, and that game has kind of changed. I mean, it used to be not everybody had cell phones. And so you, you would have these houses, um, like a trap house, uh, where people would show they knew that drugs would be there available there. And so you would have a constant flow of foot traffic or vehicle traffic and people being dropped off coming and going and neighbors would notice that and they would get concerned because other crime starts to kind of focus around that. You'd have, you know, shootings or, disturbances, people yelling in the street or kind of whatever. And so then they would reach out to us and we would try to figure out like what to do about that. Uh, sometimes it was, you know, if it was a, 
Sometimes it was doing a search warrant on the location and making arrests. And other times it was just figuring out like who the landlord was and trying to work with the landlord to try to convince them to take some sort of action about the property. Yeah, that sounds a little more more thorough approach. And so you're saying that's kind of gone away. Uh, we still have a neighborhood response team. I think it's just kind of changed. Uh, you know, we obviously were in a staffing kind of shortage now um, and we have been. Uh, for a while, uh, you know, since I got hired, we've lost quite a few uh, officers um, through but the budget process and everything. We haven't we've never laid anybody off, but we've lost positions and the city hasn't gotten any smaller. The city has you know, grown. Yeah. Uh, and so that makes it tough. So when we have to kind of the bureau itself kind of has to like figure out. Well, what is, what is our first priority, right? And our first priority is probably answering 911 calls so that when you pick up and call 911 and it's something that needs police or police response that we're able to like show up and do those things. Um, and then, you know, okay, well, then what's the next problem after that? And so those positions in the neighborhood response teams, you know, kind of dwindled over the years, but, but they're still there and they still address neighborhood concerns. Uh, like I know, I know the two guys that work out at North Precinct right now. They spend a lot of their time, uh, and this is a, you know, a, a city problem that we've had for a while. Uh, the RVs and the trailers parked on streets, and you know, and all the natural areas and stuff like that, where they're driven up into the 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 brush and everything, and and all the debris and trash and everything that kind of come with that. And neighbors are complaining about that, like here in Park Rose, like on you know Northeast Shaver, there close to 125th Place. You know, there's are various RVs and various states of disrepair and, and things like that. And those obviously, and those are things that that team now tries to kind of focus on. It's, we've kind of, we've kind of, yeah, we've kind of gone away from, from the drugs and that kind of thing. Drugs are still an issue, obviously I think, but, but it's not, you know, neighbors and, and the public is more concerned about, you know, and also technically not a crime. In terms of small, correct? Yeah, small. Yeah, so you know, and that's that's that. that, Like I said, it's one of the things that is like really changed over my career. You know, yeah, it used to be it used to be a felony for just possessing minor amounts uh, of drugs, and and then it was kind of reduced to being treated as a misdemeanor, and and now by the state legislature, it's just a violation, Uh, and so think about how many marijuana stores we have now compared to people that you probably arrested. Sure. Right. Yeah. It's kind of a wild shift, right? It is. Yeah. It's kind of funny. I mean, I mean, even through my career, like marijuana was never like a a focus because marijuana, even back when I was hired was only a violation. I mean, you'd have to have a lot of marijuana in order for it to be a crime. Um, but I remember not long after, uh, they legalized medical marijuana. So this isn't that long ago. Um, and in recreational marijuana, I remember, uh, standing in line, I was at a, at a p- local pizza place and I, uh, there was a gentleman behind me, um, long hair, tie dye t-shirt kind of thing. And he was like, Oh, you know, I bet you guys are upset now that you can't arrest people for marijuana and stuff like that. And I remember turning, I was like, I, I've never, like, I can count on one hand the number of people that I've arrested for marijuana. And those, those people were people that were involved in, uh, grows and people that had illegal grows that, you know, it back then they were all people that had were usually from out of state and they, uh, 
were renting a location and they just, they destroyed these rental houses. They would rewire them, you know, all kinds of water damage and everything like that to, to have this grow. There was huge mold issues and things like that. Those are the only people I've ever arrested. I did, I think I told him I'd give him a couple marijuana tickets or something like that, but I don't know that he believed me, but (laughs) being in real estate, sometimes I'll show a vacant house and there's maybe Mm -hmm. like some big shed in the backyard or something like that. And uh, we do the home inspection and the, uh, Home inspectors like, yeah, this was definitely a grow operation. Look at all this wiring and look at, <laughs> right, you know, this scene right. where all you could see there's yeah. like marijuana hanging down and yeah. or remnants. Right. If it's not done to code, it could be dangerous. Yeah, I mean, it could yeah. be like, you know, but these, you know, it, it could be dangerous. Well, there's a lot of ways we could take this conversation. Sure. There's, there's so many things to touch on. But one thing um, I wanted to ask you about, you kind of mentioned prioritizing 911 calls and how a lot of those calls in our city right now, a high percentage of them are related to homeless issues. Mm-hmm. And so you show up to these things, you know, mm-hmm. show up to these situations. Yeah. How often, and I'm not just only getting at homeless uh, type of calls. There's yeah. all sorts of things, but how often do you show up and respond to a call and feel like maybe you're either ill-equipped to help in a certain situation, or maybe a police officer in general is not really the person who should. Yeah. I, you know, I I think that's, if you look at police work, you know, throughout the the last few decades, you know, I think, um, uh, you know, one person, I can't remember who said this, but one person joked that, you know, creating the 911 system was, was the worst thing that, that, uh, that the government did for the public that you could call this nine one one and somebody would show up and fix your problem. Um, and so, uh, by default, you know, I think, uh, the safety nets, like we're it, like we're kind of that last line safety net. Uh, and especially when it, when it comes to things like mental health, uh, and things like that, there's, uh, there's not enough mental health resources. Uh, and so I, I think we're starting to move, you know, towards that, like the city has launched, uh, you know, the Portland street response. Uh, and I, I, you know, every officer that I know thinks that's a good thing. Um, and there's other calls that, you know, we're trying to figure out ways that we can answer 911 calls better. So we also have the PS3, uh, program, uh, which is, uh, people, um, that will basically take kind of, uh, non-emergency calls, like maybe your car got broken into and you have no idea who did it, no camera footage or anything like that. Just you woke up in the morning and you found your car broken into. Well, they'll come out and they'll take a report uh, and, you know, write something about it. Uh, and then uh, that report may get forward on to investigator, may not, kind of depends uh, on the circumstance. But that frees up officers to go do the other things. Same thing with the Portland street response, I think frees up officers to deal with uh, higher priority calls, more potentially dangerous calls that officers. Obviously we spend a lot of time uh, training for dangerous situations. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, but going back to your question about, you know, like how often do I feel like, I don't think it's uncommon that I feel like there's times that uh, there's not much. So for instance, you know, I was on Northeast Shaver uh, this morning trying to make contact with the various RVs and knocking on doors. Mm. Uh, I didn't get any answers this time, but you know, uh, last week I did and I talked to him like, Hey, what are you guys doing to kind of move on? You know, and uh, you know, offer resources. Most of them know the resources that are out there, like two one one, which is a you know basically a distribution uh, 
center, a call center that they, they will, they don't have resources themselves, but they can direct you towards resources that anybody can call. Um, and most of them know that. Uh, and so, uh, but they're not supposed to be parked there. Um, it's even flagged for no trailer, no RV parking. And so I, I, you know, spend time submitting uh, reports through pdxreporter.org. I submit reports through that, that anybody can report uh, all sorts of things to the city through that, that uh, program. Mm -hmm. But today, you know, I I warned them multiple times. And so I, you know, put some parking citations on, on some of the, the trailers and the RVs are there. I'm, I'm sure they're probably ripped off and, and maybe they won't go anywhere, but it's, you know, it's kind of that, that old adage is the squeaky wheel gets the grease. Right. Yeah. And so that maybe I remember talking to somebody with BDS. That's the, the Portland department of, uh, or Portland developmental services or the Bureau of Development Services, sorry. And they're the uh, Bureau of the, of the city that takes care of all like the code, mm-hmm. uh, things including like storm drains and, and stuff like that. We were talking about a specific trailer that eventually got towed, but the trailer is somebody, I don't know if it was the occupant or, or somebody else, but they, they kind of left a, a threatening note on the side of their trailer that kind of said, you know, if anybody did anything, then there'd be consequences and kind of, you know, it, it was enough that it caused concern to the BDS employee that uh, went out there to, to check on. And I think the complaint that he was investigating was that the trailer was leaking raw sewage uh, into the, the, you know, the storm drain system, which is bad for environmental reasons. Yeah. And so he called, he called me and had me go check it out. But eventually that trailer did get moved though. I told him I didn't think there was much weight in the letter based on what I read about it and my history with that particular trailer. I see. to have that kind of personal relationship and it, I think you're getting to that um, like the issues you're dealing with involve potentially so many different uh, aspects of our society or mm-hmm. maybe like oh we need mental health care in this we need mm-hmm. you know BDS to help oversee this and uh, our producer Andrew doesn't have a microphone today but he's actually worked with homeless people a lot mm-hmm. in the past. And one thing Andrew has shared with me is, and I'm thinking, uh, this is long winded, but uh, I'm pretty familiar with that block. I live on just three houses off Schaefer. Sure. So I know exactly what you're right. describing. Um, and we, my wife and I had our next door neighbors over for dessert last night. We were talking about some of these trailers and trucks are like so loaded with. Yes. Debris what, and garbage. Yeah, I would say that yeah. I would say debris garbage. Uh, and it's like how many, days until all of that like just collapses in yeah. the truck right yeah um and so there it's like hey you're not supposed to be here but also like this this truck could collapse on you if you don't get this junk out of here right um probably not i don't know that might not be the most tactful way to, to say it to someone, sure but yeah i think i think it's you know uh 
it, it, when I contact, when I get complaints about uh, various campers or trailers and stuff like that, and I make contact with the people, most of the time they're pleasant and they're understanding and they're like, yep, I know. Yeah, we've been here too long and the neighbors are probably complaining and stuff like that. They, they, un- they understand that. Um, sometimes it's just they don't have the means um you know, to hook their trailer up to be able to tow it or something like that. So I like on Shaver street, like one of the, one of the issues I cut, this is this few weeks ago. Now when I contact and they're like, yeah, I'd move, but you know, somebody, somebody came by, somebody was, I'm guessing upset with the number of trailers that were there and flattened a bunch of tires. Uh, and so th- these aren't normal, you know, exact kind of counterproductive evil too. Sure. Evil puts them in a hard place and, and not helpful. And it makes it harder for them to be able to move. Cause it's not like these are cheap tires. I mean, these are pretty big trailers and pretty big RVs. And so uh, that can hinder their ability to be able to pick up and move. And so then they kind of get stuck a little bit. Roughly how, what percentage of your hours spent on the, on the job are related to homeless response now versus 20 years ago? Uh, it's definitely increased. You know, I would say it's, you know, probably several hundred percent increase. Like it was never really, you know, but back when I started, we even had city ordinances, uh, that said that you weren't allowed to camp on the street, uh, and things like that. So, uh, it was illegal to like having, I think the terminology was like, you couldn't have bedding and stuff like that to show that, you know, that you were in a camp. And that kind of changed through the courts. The courts said, hey, uh, specifically the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals said you can't make it illegal for people to sleep somewhere, which, you know, I, I get. I understand that. Uh, they said you have to be able to have some place for them to go in order for you to be able to, hey, you need to move from this spot. Yeah. Um, and so within the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals, um, that has made uh I think that's up and down, which is the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals is basically up and down the West Coast. And I think that's why you see uh, such a much larger homelessness issue here than you maybe you do in other parts like the Midwest or something like that, that aren't under the jurisdiction of the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals. I wasn't aware of that specifically. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it takes, you know, all that stuff. It takes years, if not decades, in the making. For instance, uh, that that ruling was challenged uh, and made its way to the Supreme Court. And the Supreme Court, just within the last year or two, I don't remember the exact date, but decided not to hear the case. So that means that the current ruling from the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals for the area that the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals holds stays in place. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so until they hear a rule or hear the Supreme Court decides to hear something more specific on it, maybe from another appellate court, um, then this is where we're at. That's interesting. And I think it shows here we are talking about like one specific intersection on Shaver and around 125th or 129th. But then pretty quickly the conversation turned to something that's like a multiple state government policy or in this case, uh, I guess, judicial. Yes. Uh, And it can be difficult for the average person to really follow what's happening in local politics and understand it. I mean, we can know who's elected, but really assessing what they're doing and how effective it is and uh, following every policy that gets implemented or every judgment can be difficult. But it shows that those decisions actually do really have an effect and play out in our neighborhoods on our our blocks. They absolutely do. You know, it's it's sometimes... um, Sometimes there's unforeseen consequences or fallout from something with maybe that was was started with good intentions. Um, 
you know, I, uh, and then a, a rule is created or a ruling or whatever. Um, and, it, and it's left to the, well, at least for as like laws go, that it's up to the legislature to change it or adapt it or create the funding to try to address the issue. Um, and then trickle on down for law enforcement to try to figure out, well, how do we, you know, how do we operate within what the legislature has said? And, you know, how do we get funded? How do we handle it? Mm-hmm. Uh, so there, I mean, homelessness is a super complicated issue. There's so much that uh, impacts homelessness, um, you know, access to housing, funding, money, jobs, mental health, substance abuse, you know, all of that stuff uh, is all, it's a super complicated issue. Yeah. It's hard to even uh, touch on something and then stick on that like just to just to think about a topic is like before you know it you're you're like opening a can of worms and For there's sure. all these adjacent issues yes. and it's like where do we even start on this issue but so but on that note thinking kind of more broadly um what's just kind of your own personal feel are you optimistic about our city leadership city government and yeah, I guess I'm thinking of like city council and their their policies. And then how about the Portland Police Bureau? Do you think things are trending positively or I think it's going to be? Yeah, I, well, say, I think I, objectively things are pretty messy right now. <laughs> sure. Uh, you know, I I think there's I'll, I'll qualify this with saying that I, I'm ever the optimist. I'm always the the glass half full type of guy. Uh, and so I I, I always think that, you know, things are going to change for the better. And I, and I think there's, I think there's movement towards that, you know, um, you know, in, in the light of, of the, the George Floyd protest, the murder of George Floyd, um, there was a quick movement to defund the police and, and remove funding for things and stuff like that. And, and I think there were some unforeseen consequences of what that did. Um, you know, for instance, the 911 calls holding for longer, um, response times, uh, going up. Um, and then, you know, the, the number of, uh, you know, gun crimes that we've had an increase of, yeah, you know, I, I don't, obviously I think when, when, city council chose to remove that funding and stuff like that. They, they obviously didn't intend for that to happen. That wasn't their intent. Um, they wanted to change the way that policing looks. Um, and, uh, and, and I think that's, and I think that realization is happening now uh, that, okay, well that would, that maybe wasn't the right approach. And so we're going to do something different um, like increasing Portland street response uh, where, you know, on someone that is not, not a threat to anybody, but, but needs some help. You know, it looks like they're, they're on the street corner and they might need some help. Uh, you know, maybe that's a better job for someone that's got some additional training or, you know, a mental health clinician or something like that. Uh, you know, Portland's always kind of had that a little bit. Um, you know, for years we've always had project respond, which is a, a county program, um, that's mental health clinicians, uh, that follow up with like the crisis line and stuff like that. But they, they frequently call on us though, too, for, for safety reasons, um, to make sure that, you know, that they're safe when they're going to knock on a door or make an approach to something. Definitely seems like compared to even one year ago, I'm kind of sensing that people are coming together a tiny bit more mm-hmm. compared to, yeah. And the George Floyd murder and, and yeah. protests, there was such social unrest, upheaval. For sure. And, um, how did that affect you? I mean, a lot of cops were quitting and shortly after that. Yeah. I, you know, I, we've, we've certainly seen, it, it's kind of funny. It, it came at a time 
So within, within law enforcement, there's always been kind of this, uh, yo-yo, yo-yo effect where all of a sudden there's a, there's a need to hire officers. And so we'll hire a whole bunch, uh, and those officers will get on, they'll train over, you know, the course of a couple of years and then they'll move on to their career. And then all those officers are going to come to retirement age about the same time. And they're all going to retire, which then kind of leaves a hole. And then you're like, Oh shoot, we need to hire a whole bunch of officers and they'll hire a whole bunch of officers again. And that will kind of stem that gap. And so we kind of end up in this back and forth yo-yo of, yep, we got enough staffing. No, we don't. Now we're, now we're, we're critical. We need more. And, and I know in my conversations with one of our former chiefs, you know, that I, I don't know that there's a, sometimes it's maybe convincing the people that pull the purse strings, like, Hey, like we might need to hire over at a steadier rate or something like that so that we don't find ourselves in this yo-yo effect. Um, but then specifically going back to, I think what happens, uh, after uh, the George Floyd murder and the and, and the protests and uh, civil unrest that kind of happened in light of that, I think I think there were a lot of officers, um, you know, that felt uh, abandoned and or this wasn't what they you know kind of not what they wanted or what they what they envisioned, um, and the anger and rightfully so the anger of the community um, kind of directed them. They're like, hey, you know, like I'm not. Derek Chauvin, like I, that's not me. Like I do things differently, but here I am getting yelled and screamed at and stuff like that. And so, you know, that, that's, that's tough. Um, and so we, I think it was interesting. I think there was a lot of officers that just, you know, at least for here in Portland, cause we had a lot of it, civil unrest and a lot of protests, uh, here in Portland, um, that changed and they There's decided a lot of controversial stuff that's happened here too, aside from for sure there has been. Yeah, absolutely. Um, a number of police involved shootings and, and other things that have happened here in Borland uh, that have definitely driven that and, and had a hand in kind of what played out in the summer of 2020. Uh, and so, you know, I think that's, I think officers decided that, you know, that we hadn't really seen that before, people just leaving, like not even close to retirement. Like, Hey, I'm, I'm done here. I'm going to go someplace else. Either they're going to work in law enforcement somewhere else or, or a fair number of people just said, Nope, I'm, I'm done with police work. Like I'm going to go into a completely different line of work, you know, for my own sanity, for, for their family and, and whatnot. How so, close did you get thinking about that? How close did I get personally? Yeah. Um, not at all. Uh, but like I said, again, I'm a glass half full kind of guy. Um, <laughs> so my coworkers will say I'm, I'm crazy. Like I love patrol work. Um, I love uh, going into the chaos of a call and sorting it out. Um, I'm not the person, the kind of person that gets excited or, or, or overexcited about a situation and, and can kind of wade into something and, and kind of sort it out and get it sorted out. And, and I know that for on a, on a personal level, like that's, that's what I enjoy. And so for me, it, it never, I never got close. Like that, that never really crossed my mind. I, I really enjoy this where I do a lot of different things, uh, for the bureau, um, you know, I have a lot of special extra training, um, and mental health issues. Um, and that has a personal thing for me as well, having family members, um, 
that deal with mental health issues and stuff. So, uh, you know, that, that's, that's my calling, I guess, is to stay, to stay in, in the muck and continue through it. Well, that's great to hear. You sound crazy a tiny bit. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think we're all crazy a little yeah. bit at some point. I'm, I'm thankful for you. I think we, we benefit from your service and dedication. Well, I appreciate that. Ability to, to stick things through. And one thing you just said that um, surprised me a tiny bit. Just I wonder, like, I think in the public sphere or, or individual conversations I had with people, they built, uh, bring up an incident where a police member um, responded to something with way more force or violence than mm-hmm. was, was necessary or just didn't approach something very well, sure. especially uh, related to mental health issues. Yeah. And then I'll say, Oh, well only if they were trained to do this and that. Yeah. And I think, well, that does sound great. I just wonder like how effective that training would be. And um, if the people who are often drawn to police work, who maybe are kind of chasing like, they want to be kind of physical or like sure. enforce enforcers or something like yeah. that. Maybe that uh, training wouldn't really help them or they wouldn't choose to use it in the moment. But you said right. uh, that that training has been beneficial. And so it g- gives me hope like that, uh, you know, those kind of changes can be, can be implemented right. as we're thinking about like, Hey, here's what our, police are doing and they're telling us they're not really well equipped to handle these situations uh, right more training could actually be helpful and not not the only maybe not the first or only uh, solution but something that could be part of the solution yeah i i think training is always helpful um i i think here in portland we're we're fairly fortunate um we get i think we have a pretty good uh, training system kind of set up, uh, you know, we could, we could certainly use more. Um, uh, but it's hard finding time to do that. For instance, uh, you know, like, uh, our training division puts on yearly in-service. So we go through in-service, like in order to maintain our state certification as a police officer, we have to have so many hours of firearms training, so many hours of, uh, you know, legal things. There's a, a smattering of things that we have to maintain and, and keep up on. And, I think we do a pretty good job of that here in Portland. We we try to like look at like what community needs are like so de-escalation has become like a huge buzzword in, in police work, right? And and just in in general with like how do you deal with with high risk situations and how can we figure out how to do that? So we we've spent a lot of over the last couple of years, and this is even before what happened in 2020. You know, the bureau kind of shifted and really started talking about de-escalation and, and how has that happened? How does that occur? What does that mean? Uh, and we, you know, at least at the training division, they put on scenarios where, you know, officers are kind of tested at that uh, to put that on. But 
here in Portland, you know, we go through what's called an advanced academy and then, but the rest of the state, they go to basic police academy and, and that's it. And then, you know, they may seek other training, uh, you know, uh, throughout the time uh, as, as their police officers, but they don't also go through an additional, well, if, over the course of years has changed 10 to 16 weeks of additional training uh, that we get here in Portland that the rest of the state and other law enforcement agencies don't get. That's good. Are you seeing that as a lot of people have retired or resigned and moved on and there's a new crop of police being hired? Yes. Some yes. Uh, yeah. It's, it's a trickle. There are definitely new officers coming. I think they hired two today or two tomorrow. Okay. I think we're hiring two tomorrow. So have you noticed any trends in the uh, type of, if you were to generalize or make assumptions about people being hired, do you notice any differences um, and like their interest yeah. personality? Um, that's a good question. You know, I, I, some of it could be potentially a generational thing. Like I said, I'm, I'm a bit of a dinosaur. I was hired last century. Um, but yeah, I, I think a lot of people, uh, I'm an FTO, which means a field training officer. So I, I, I train new officers. They typically they'll ride with me and stuff like that. Um, I think a lot of them are interested in service oriented jobs. And I think a lot of people kind of come in and they're, um, they want to, they want to help. And, and I think that e- even back when I got hired, I think most officers, the vast majority of officers get into this line of work, wanting to help people out. Um, and so, uh, but yeah, I, I've seen a, the, the shift I would say would be, um, a willingness and I, that could be just a generational thing, um, a willingness to kind of question, uh, like, Hey, like, why do we do it this way? Which I, I think is great for me personally. I think it's great. Like it's good. Like I should be able to explain why we do it this way. Like the answer shouldn't be, well, because, or because I said so, right. There, there, there should be some, either some history or some training, or you should have some reason about why things are, why calls are handled a certain way uh, and that kind of thing. And so I, I think, and that could potentially be a generational thing too. I think, um, you know, it's, it's important in this job, uh, to be a critical thinker, um, and to be able to be able to do that, like on your, on your feet, uh, and, and quickly, um, and on large calls, you know, we always spend some time afterwards kind of debriefing things like, you know, what do we do? Right. You know, what could we have done better? Um, and how did it turn out? Uh, I'm also a member, I'm a crisis negotiator. We used to be called hostage negotiators, but you hardly ever run into situations now with, with hostages. So we, we're, we do most stuff as crisis negotiators. Um, and that's one of the things that um, being on that team, like you realize, okay, yeah, we have some, you know, discussions about, well, what's the best way to handle this? Like, you know, even if we're like talking with somebody on a phone or whatever, that's going through some sort of crisis, you know, we'll, we'll have some discussions like back and forth about how we think it should be handled uh, and whatnot, like what things we should bring up or should we press them more? Should we not press them more? And those kinds of things. Well, Eric, this has been great. And I kind of want to, uh, center this conversation, ground the plane back where we started in, in Park Rose. Sure. You uh, work here a lot and I have, do. have mm-hmm. for a number of years. Mm-hmm. Is Park Rose special to you in any way? Uh, no, I don't have any personal connection to here. Um, I just, I, I enjoy it out here. Uh, I'll say uh, the people out here are always very, very nice. Um you know, I think it's kind of blue collar, kind of working class type people, hardworking people. And, 
they're appreciative of kind of what we do. And so that, that is definitely kind of a draw. Um, and so uh, that that's the draw. It's kind of funny, like talking, uh, I, you know, I'm the district officer out here uh, in Park Rose. And so that's, so this is my assigned spot every day for every day that I work at least. Um, but there's been previous district officers that have worked here um, and every single one of them um, love it out here. Uh, like there's a kind of a long, long history of Park Rose uh, being a, a sought after uh, location to kind of work in. And and that's because it's, it's a mix of work because, uh, you know, there there's good police work to be done out here, you know, and, and uh, not and unfortunately there's a lot of stolen cars uh, out in park rows um and uh people like to hunt for those and find those and and get those back and then there's uh and then the the people that you that we serve the the community is is appreciative of the work that we do it's pretty common that i get waves or people you know if i'm dealing with something for instance i told you this morning i was you know laying some parking tags on those RVs on shaver and a gentleman actually pulled over and stopped and got out and came over and talked to me and was like, Hey man, you know, I just, I appreciate you just kind of doing what you can to kind of work on the neighborhood and stuff. And, and we see you guys out here. So, you know, it's that, it's that, it's those little things, uh, that make it nice. And those are the, those are the parts that I got to (laughs) remember. That's great. Well, I'm glad for that gentleman and makes sense to go where you're appreciated. Sure. Absolutely. What, um, I mean, a lot of, times having conversations with people. Yeah, we, we sure have a, a slew of police related issues out here or just issues that police could potentially respond to. Yeah. And I think a lot of people sure will just complain, please don't do this. They're not doing that mm-hmm. or what they are doing is not helpful, that kind of thing. But for the most part, a lot of people understand like um, police are kind of overwhelmed and some of the issues that we care about on our block are maybe not going to be number one priority compared to some of the real severe issues, or maybe they're kind of complex. Like you said earlier in our chat, um, a problem house having like 12 calls in the court in a short amount of time. And it's like, well, there's not an emergency to respond to today, but there's still something going on. So people talk about um, maybe how they can organize Mm -hmm. together. Um, Personally, in, in Argay Terrace, since I've lived here, I haven't really seen, uh, I've heard lots of people say like, we need a violence, you know, night watch kind of crew. Sure. Like, yeah. I don't know that anyone has ever pulled it off successfully, which makes me want to ask you, what are some ways that you think just neighbors can kind of be part of the solution or can communicate with the police more effectively? Well, I think, uh, as far as like solutions, I think the most important thing is just to be involved, you know, whether it's the neighborhood association, the Park Rose Neighborhood Association, to be involved with your, you know, your local politics. Maybe it's emailing uh, the council members or, you know, talking to them about what you want um, for your neighborhood because uh, that and that kind of trickles to us. And then, you know, as far as like policing, like you're, you're never like sometimes I think people don't call us because they're worried. They, they know. I mean we do have a lot of calls. Uh, that's not any different, but at the same time, you're not bugging us. I mean, we're, we're happy to, to take those calls and, 
you know, maybe it's just you, if there's an officer that's sitting, writing a report, you walk up to that officer and share your concerns about the the neighborhood. You know, I, I was leaving uh, Rossi Farms this morning and a lady in a Volvo like pulled up. She's like, hey, I don't, there's a car over on Shaver. I don't know what, it's kind of smashed up, but they're, it, they're painting it from red to black. And I don't know what's going on. It just seems kind of weird. I'm like, okay, sure. I'll, I'll go check it out. Right. And so like, there's no harm in doing that. Like you're, you're not bugging us. If you, you know, reach out to us or you walk up to an officer, you know, get their attention, you know, wave them and say, Hey, this is, this is what's going on. Do you know anything about this? Um, so, yeah. That's great to hear. And I think sometimes we assume just reading and knowing that the police force numbers got real low. Mm-hmm. And sometimes, uh, you know, that lady saw you leaving coffee at the barn, but right. maybe another lady didn't see you for who, sure who had something on her mind too. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, it, it would be nice to have even more service like what you're doing, but it's good for us to remember, Hey, there's not none. Like we do have you as a resource for our neighborhood right. and, um, so yeah, let's, let's use what resources we do have. Yeah, for sure. And, and the like bureau seeks out, you know, I don't know how many people are on social media and stuff like that. I mean, I think most people probably are. Um, but if you follow the Portland police bureau, I mean, the, the, the bureau does seek input on even directives, like and directives by like our policies, like how do we handle certain calls and, you know, like our use of force policy and stuff like that, that the, the, the bureau seeks input. And so that's, that's your, and there's a mechanism for people to actually give their input, uh, into that. And so that's, that's another way to get involved directly with the police bureau. Yeah. Yeah. Thinking about people in our community who have been involved in that, uh, Robin Wisner, he's on Mm -hmm. the city council of Maywood park. Okay. And he hasn't been on the podcast, but he was on the park Rose life blog on our website. He did a a chat with me. Um, and he did, so he did get elected and he's done a lot of work with the Portland police and now the Multnomah County Sheriff since he's in Maywood park. Right. Right. Um, Part of the County, but he's a good, uh, for anyone listening who wants to maybe, start getting involved in, in voicing and giving opinions and learning about police work. And uh, as it relates to our community, he's a good resource of someone who's been doing that kind of work for a long time and mm-hmm. has had some uh, input and um, made some changes with how police uh, respond to certain situations and things mm-hmm. like that and been, been an encouragement to them too. So Eric, I really appreciate this uh, talking about this kind of stuff uh, it's been great to know, get to know you and thanks for your bravery to come and talk about some potentially problematic or controversial topics. And yeah. we only got to the surface level on a couple things, um, but the conversation can continue. Sure. It's not the, the end. Yeah, uh, absolutely. You know, I think uh, that's, you have to be willing to have a conversation to come to some sort of understanding. Um, and so I think you, uh, for me personally, I'm, I'm always willing even have uncomfortable conversations because uh, I think that's that's where you come to some sort of understanding and and you know right on well with that let's end on a happy note and transition to our rapid fire round Did you, okay. did you know this was coming? I did, I did not know okay. this was coming. Now, okay. now you got me nervous, so I need to... Yeah, maybe I shouldn't say rapid fire might mean something a little different in your right. context than right. the podcast world. But I'm going to hit you with some some easy questions. All right, all right. What is your favorite 
spot to grab a bag, bite to eat in the Park Rose area? Uh, probably El Yucatan. Yucatan. Uh, yeah. Or, yeah, is it Yucateco? On a, go ahead. On or, yeah, the, it's the food cart uh, that's there at 131st in, in Sandy. Right on. Yeah. I think... Uh, our guest Jake two two episodes ago said the same one. Sure, yeah. but uh, Grant's Phillies is another oh, yeah. really good one out there, mm-hmm. a little bit further out. But that's I guess technically that's Argay, I suppose, or uh, Wilkes. <laughs> or yeah. Wilkes, yeah, yeah, maybe I should. Okay, cool. What is your favorite place to spend time outdoors in Park Rose, or we could broaden it to you know East mm. Portland area. Sure. East Portland area outdoors. Uh, Rocky Point Butte uh, is beautiful up there um, along the along the bluff and then uh, around the top up there is beautiful uh, vistas of the city and whatnot. So uh, I'd be uh, I'm guilty of going up there and taking some photos. (laughs) That's a great scenic spot, especially thinking about neighbors who might like to uh, share an opinion or Mm -hmm. ask a question or share a concern. Is there a good way for people, especially in Park Rose, to contact you? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, there's, you know, there's my email, um, which is just my first name, Eric, E-R-I-C dot Zajac. That's Z as in zebra, A-J-A-C as in cat, and at portlandoregon.gov. And uh, you actually check it and reply, I've noticed. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, yes, I do. Um, I do I do reply. Um, sometimes I don't. Sometimes I get overwhelmed with my emails, but but yeah, it, either internal emails and all sorts of things. We get a lot of emails, but yeah, I, I try to reply to them. And there's some other great officers too. Um, like I said, you're always free. If you see me or another officer rolling around, you know, people are free to like flag us down and, and just say, hey, this is kind of what's going on. Um, you know, one of the former district officers that worked out here uh, on the afternoon shift for a long time, uh, Officer Romanowski, uh, you know, he still sends me emails from neighbors that email him uh, about uh, issues and stuff like that. And he'll forward those emails to me. So I think internally we're, we're fairly good uh, at, you know, kind of sharing information that's happening uh, in neighborhoods and stuff. Very cool. And if you're on parkroselife.com, there'll be a link to that. Or if you're listening on a park road on a podcast player, it should be in the show notes so you can click and, and email Eric and uh, give him some love. Maybe hopefully, <laughs> hopefully I didn't just open up your inbox to tons of hate mail. Yeah, we'll, we'll see. <laughs> that's what filters are for, right? Awesome. Thank you so much. Officer Agent Zajac. Absolutely. Thank you. I thought that was an excellent conversation and I am super thankful for Eric's willingness to be open with us. You know, he didn't have to come on the show and expose himself to my line of questioning. The reason I really wanted to have him on is that we all know our society is becoming more divided and people tend to vilify the police or venerate the police, meaning if you're wearing a uniform, you can't do any wrong. And of course, that conversation has sort of just escalated and gotten out of hand to the point there's no nuance or people are afraid to even have the conversation. 
So I didn't want to be controversial today. I just thought we could hear Eric's story and know what it's like to be a police officer from his perspective as someone who's been a veteran police officer so long and is dedicated to serving our community. Really hope you enjoyed the conversation and that you were inspired to be part of the solution in a constructive way. And I think we need to keep track of what's going on in our neighborhood and how our elected officials proactively lead and how they respond to big issues. I don't want to derail this episode at the end, but be sure to find the show notes of this episode because I'm going to include some links to articles about how Mayor Ted Wheeler encouraged the Proud Boys and Antifa to fight each other in Park Rose area instead of downtown Portland back in August 2021. And he counted that day as a win. Uh, It wasn't a win for Park Rose, I don't think. And coming up in November, the city of Portland, we're going to vote on charter reform. And we have an opportunity to change the fundamental way our city government works. The charter is like our city constitution. I'm not naive in thinking that will solve everything, but I do think that a huge structural change could make lasting positive impact throughout our city. So keep turning into Park Rose Life, checking the articles on the website that I also post on Facebook when they come out. I'll be sure to stay on top of the political topics that affect our daily lives. With that, I'm Brian Atkinson, and this is Park Rose Life. Mm